Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double n. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 618 of the podcast and it is Thursday the 21st of April 2022 as I record this in between episode. On today's show, I'm talking to Ray Wojcik and Stephen Pointer about creating a fictional world in Web3 using decentralised blockchain platforms and NFTs. <laughs> we discuss their project Sitka World, which will have various community and reader opportunities accessible through different levels of NFTs. And it's great to see creators thinking about new models instead of just doing things the way they have been done for the last decade or so. We discuss what ownership really means for readers and why resale of digital assets is so exciting for creators, finding readers and building community, long-term thinking, and the difference between Web3 and Web2 tools and business models, and why most of us will keep a blend, as I already do. So I was thinking about this, a kind of I'm doing more web one or even off the web, uh, in-person speaking and obviously physical books. I'm even going to do my first uh, print run if I get my Kickstarter funded, which I haven't launched yet. But when I do, I'm going to do a special print run, which I've never done before in a super kind of traditional publishing. Obviously, I have my books on Amazon, Kobo, Apple, other Web2 platforms. I do sell direct. Uh, I use this podcast, uh, social media, which are very definitely Web2 ways of marketing. But I'm also starting to experiment with Web3. Uh, as I've talked about, I continue to create and mint NFT art on OpenSea as JF Pen, which actually can now be purchased with normal credit cards, not just cryptocurrency. And this is a development. What we're going to see is an overlap between all the spaces. So I don't want you to think that it's either or. It is everything and whatever you choose, not everything, whatever you choose in this smorgasbord of opportunity. So things are definitely getting easier and um, we talk about minting NFT books and we talk about Riedel in particular and I'm having conversations with Riedel every couple of weeks waiting to see when their platform is uh, ready to try. But as we discussed, these platforms are still emerging and we still have uh, a way to go. There are platforms already here as OpenSea for example, but they're not really designed for books and readers. So anyway, uh, we discuss lots of things. It's really exciting. And Ray has also released an article with a lot of extra detail called Why Content Creators Need Web 3 on her Northern Words blog. Links in the show notes as ever. Now, if you're new to the topic of blockchain and NFTs, then uh, have a listen to episode 610, which is a solo show when I explain a lot of the basics. And we won't be going into the basics uh, today. If you know, go back and listen to 610. And I've been covering NFTs now for over a year. So hopefully those of you who've been around a while have been listening to a few of the shows. In terms of creating these fictional world universes in Web3, I also want to recommend the latest episode on the Creatokia podcast, which is the last episode in their season two. It doesn't have a number. It's like season two final episode. And that is with uh, Elf. 
which is a brilliant name. Uh, I presume that is not his real name. But Elf from the Forgotten Runes Wizards Cult, which is a fantastic discussion of where I think Stephen and Ray will want to go uh, eventually with this, which is this world of story characters as NFTs, which they're then turning into other content. And it, uh, it they have this creative community of writers writing lore, L-O-R-E, uh, about this world. And it, the characters who own a wizard can turn that into other things. And they're also now what's happening. So this was um, this world forgotten runes is a web three first project which they're then retrofitting into the older world of publishing they're going to do comic books they're doing actual books they're doing an animated show and they're doing an as in a tv show and other ways for nft holders to expand their creativity and revenue so uh, Stephen and Ray are talking about what they want to do. And then this Creatokia episode to me is, has been this, this group has been running for a year and they're kind of an example of what it could be in the future. So I, I'm super interested in this. I think it's absolutely fascinating and really does expand the possibilities of writing within each other's worlds and uh, actually being paid for that. So I guess it expands the possibilities of what could be called fan fiction. But in a way, it's not fan fiction anymore because people who own the NFTs of certain characters actually own the IP associated with that or own a percentage of. So it's really interesting potential business model in the future for fan fiction enabled universes. So I really hope this expands your mind with ideas. Thanks as ever to my wonderful patrons for supporting the show. I answer questions about this stuff uh, and about writing and publishing and book marketing as part of my monthly Q&A. And if you are a patron, yes, I am doing it soon, promise. <laughs> you can support the show at patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash the creative pen. And remember, you can tweet me at the creative pen, send me pictures of where you're listening or email me, joanna at the creative pen.com or leave a comment on the blog or the YouTube channel. I love to hear from you. It makes this more of a conversation. And I particularly enjoy hearing at the moment about these in-between episodes. People are saying, I just didn't get it before. And then I listened to this episode or whatever episode and the penny has started dropping or the penny has dropped and I get it now and it's exciting. So I'm I'm really pleased. That makes me feel happy that I carry on with this stuff. <laughs> I'm also really happy with our first corporate sponsor for the in-between episodes. Uh, today's show is brought to you by the friendly team at Written Word Media, who want to be part of the future for authors. Written Word Media knows that marketing your book can be one of the most challenging parts of being an author. That's why they make marketing easy by providing quick, easy and effective ways to promote your books. Written Word is best known for their email promotion sites, Free Booksy, Bargain Booksy and Red Feather Romance. And personally, I use Free Booksy and Bargain Booksy regularly. I love them. They have five promo sites in total that send daily newsletters to a combined audience of over one million readers. They even have a site that helps you promote your audiobooks called Audio Thicket. When you purchase a promotion with Written Word Media, your book is sent to thousands of readers who love and read books in your specific genre. As the email hits inboxes, you will see a flurry of sales or downloads of your title. Email promotions are priced based on how many readers are in the genre and they range from $25 to $500. 
The founders at Written Word Media are big believers in the power of innovation. Their newest product, Reader Reach Ads, allows authors to schedule a five-day Facebook ad campaign using vetted audiences and personalised creative in as little as five minutes. No more creating ads or struggling over targeting. Written Word Media handles it all. You can schedule your promotions today at writtenwordmedia.com or send them an email at info at writtenwordmedia.com to ask for recommendations on which promotion will best meet your goals. You can also sign up for their free email newsletter to get book marketing tips and news from the world of self-publishing. Check them out at writtenwordmedia.com. Right, let's get into the interview with Ray and Stephen. Ray Wojcik is a speculative fiction author, freelance editor and journalist. And Stephen Pointer is an online entrepreneur, film professional and NFT enthusiast. Ray and Stephen are the creators of Sitka World, a community-driven, community-rewarded literature movement based around a fantasy world. So welcome to the show, Ray and Stephen. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Oh, I'm very excited to talk to you about this. So let's start with, uh, we've established that you're authors, creators. Why are you so interested in Web3? And I guess, what does Web3 even mean to you? So I'm Ray. I've been writing for most of my life, actually. And for so long, I was attracted to the idea of traditional publishing, as many of us are when we get started in this space. But Over the last few years, I feel like I've gone on a different journey of thinking of what are some different ways that I can really make writing work. And I was kind of attracted more to this idea of being a creative entrepreneur and loved reading your book, How to Make a Living with Your Writing, and starting to think of that more creatively. And more recently, I've become attracted to this idea of community-driven publishing. And what I mean by that is almost taking this idea of like the thousand true fans idea and thinking, how can I, you know, instead of just sending a book out into the world to be read by people that I might never meet, trying to get it into as many hands as possible, how can I really start to build a community and a community of those people who really care about writing, care about fantasy worlds and care about my book. And that's what drove me to the idea of Web3. Yeah, and I think that as far as why web three in the first place like why why would we even (laughs) go that route in terms of publishing and and sometimes it's easy for people to kind of be in their mindset of like well if it works already why why change it like we can get a book on amazon kindle then isn't that good enough but beyond the the community is just the uh, fundamental idea of ownership in web three and i think that a lot of people don't really grasp that sort of all the ramifications that come with that because like with web two you never really own anything. You're just renting or licensing the right to be able to view content within a certain big tech platform. And those platforms pretty much have all of the control over the distribution, over what's on their platform, over how the uh, finances work for that. And they end up often taking a large percentage of those (laughs) finances. And you're just at the mercy of whatever distribution platform is the, the main one for your genre normally. And so with Web3, it just gives more kind of creative ownership and control for the artist, in this case, Ray, the author, to be able to have more control over what she writes and how she connects with her audience and how she sells to them and, and all that. So, 
Fantastic. Well, let's get more specific around Sitka World. So tell us about that project and, and what it is and what you hope to create around it. Yeah, so with Sitka World, our mission is really to bring the magic of storytelling to Web3. And it started out just as a way to publish my upcoming book series, actually, which is called The Sitka Saga, which is how Sitka World got its name. But then I was thinking of it more and more, and I was realizing, like, this doesn't have to just be a book, which is part of what the beauty of Web3 is. Like, Web3 is so much more collaborative in many ways than many creative publishing platforms we've seen. So I started to think of how can I make this more than being just about my specific fiction work. And I work as a freelance journalist. I do some author coaching. So I kind of started, the wheel started to turn a little bit and I started to think, how can I make this really a community that's not just about my work, but can be about other people's work as well? And I think with Sitka World, essentially what it comes down to is it's going to be a whole community of writers helping everybody learn more about the Web3 space and being able to build a successful writing career in the Web3 space. Yeah. And to expand on that idea of bringing the magic of storytelling to Web3, that's kind of how we best came up with the way of describing and encapsulating what our vision is, because it's partly like bringing the magic of the fantasy world, which is like, this is a series that Ray has been writing for over a decade. It's pretty much been her go-to passion creative outlet for since she was in high school. And so we want to bring like the messages and magic of that to Web3 in more interactive and, and immersive ways than are possible normally. So that's one of the beauties kind of of um, NFTs that maybe we can get into more later, but how you can have this digital proof of ownership and you can get access to more than just a book and you can continue to build on that. Like you can add more and more. So we want to be doing like, audiobooks and looking at graphic novels and games and metaverse stuff and artificial intelligence and just kind of and the community aspects and stuff where we can really allow readers to have a more really immersive journey in this fantasy world where the book is really just the starting point and just the base layer sort of introduction to that so that's kind of one part but then the other part that Ray was saying is yeah we really are developing this idea of what we're calling our writer's guild and having kind of an inner group of writers within our community that we can help them find work like having a job gig portal as well as different services like coaching and publishing services and helping them with well networking and getting them connected in the world of web3 so that they can actually either bring their own works to life like if they're publishing their own works and want to maybe launch it as nfts or build a community or brand around that or helping connect them with other established brands that are lacking in the storytelling and a lot of brands i think especially in Web3, as they mature, will start to realize more the value of the intellectual property of having a strong story and strong characters that their community will relate to, because that'll help keep their community engaged for the longer term. And so we want to be able to present ourselves to other brands as saying, hey, we have this group of writers, like we could help you get connected with someone that could build out stories for you, whether that's lore, stuff for websites, books, graphic novels, comics, uh, game narrative, all that stuff. And to really then help bring that magic and power of storytelling to the uh, broader world of Web3. So, Well, let's get a bit more specific because I feel like the discussion of Web2 and Web3 can sometimes be 
confusing. And of course, you've mentioned things there like books and audiobooks. We have those right now. Those exist right now. And I presume at some point where you're going to put these out in print, which of course is what we could say as not web at all <laughs> in the very old technology. You've also mentioned almost being almost like an education platform or something, you know, your Writers Guild might have services, might have a job board, which could be done just with a website. And you know, I'm really into this, but I feel like people get very confused. Technically, it's like, well, why don't I just have a website? And why don't I just publish a Kindle book? So can you try me a bit more specific, obviously, without getting too technical, but how is it different to what you can do with just Web2 tools? Yeah, absolutely. And definitely to start out, do you want to say like Web3 is not exclusive. So if you do love publishing ebooks, if you love publishing print books, you don't have to stop doing any of that with Web3. And one of the things that I like about it and what helped me kind of conceptualize, because I was new to all of this too and didn't totally understand at first, but NFTs are really proof of ownership. So I think what's made a lot of headlines as they've started to come out is people hear about them and they hear, oh, NFTs, those are just really expensive JPEG images. But that's really just what it is on a surface level. On a deeper level, an NFT can be a proof of ownership for anything. You could set it up as a proof of ownership to get into your community. If somebody owns your NFT, that's like their ticket in. You could have it where if somebody buys your NFT, if you're an author launching your book, that will give the holder royalties for your future earnings. It could give them access to really anything else in the world. And that's kind of the crazy thing about this new technology is NFTs can really be your ticket to anything. And it's up to the creator just to use their imagination and think of what that anything can be. Yeah. And I think that the fundamental idea going back to the idea of ownership. So in Web 2, I think the two main distinctions, if I were to distill it to its essence, Web2 is about platform. The platform comes first and everything has to be created for that platform. And the platform ultimately has the control over it. Web3 is about owner community ownership. Everyone that owns that NFT actually owns part of the network and the platform and brand. I mean, you don't have to surrender your intellectual property rights. Some do. There are some um, sets where if you want to go that route as a creator, you can kind of actually allow your holders to use the characters or whatever their NFT represents and, and make their own works with it and own the rights. But that's not how we're doing it and certainly not how you have to. But but they, they own in the actual success of the project. And the biggest ramification of that is that your users actually feel more engaged. Like think of it as a difference between some subscription, like a, some if it's some sort of club where you have to be paying, a, say, $100 a month to be part of some, I don't know, golf club or something. Well, that's a subscription and it's a financial drain on you. Every month you have to keep on paying to, ben- to be part of it. And as soon as you leave, then you actually start saving money because now you're no longer having to pay for it. And that's kind of what we've become used to with Web 2. But with Web 3, it's more like you pay once up front to actually take an ownership and say this golf club. I'm not into golfing, but there's probably some golfers out there. And, and now you have, I mean, there's only, say, a thousand owners and so if that golf club does well, and if you help it do well over time, your stake and value in that ends up actually growing and you could resell that membership to someone else and end up actually not being any of the worse out for it financially because you're actually now like an equity owner because in that golf club instead of just a paying subscriber. And so it just changes the nature of the community a lot. And you see a lot of very engaged NFT communities for that reason, because people actually feel like they want to be part of this in the long term. They want to help it grow. Be- 
because they just feel more tight to it rather than just being like, hey, you're my fan, so I want to make money off of you. So just pay me money each month, which can end up being a little more of a transactional, one-sided maybe sort of relationship. Mm. And I do think it's such a different mindset. And that's why <laughs> I keep kind of asking these questions because let you know, it, with let's just say Amazon, as you mentioned, a sort of platform-centered approach, which is we drive readers to Amazon or Amazon has its own readership. And then the author is just one of many, many millions of authors. And uh, but the benefits of that kind of centralization are that one big company is helping build the brand and one of the um what what you were talking about there is like community ownership so let's say Sitka World is not Amazon obviously right now I mean who knows what it could be in the future but the onus is on the community and the creators to drive readership into this world so what how do you see that happening because I, I feel like I'm almost frustrated right now because I feel like there's not enough of a community for this stuff to take off. And you mentioned there that engaged um, communities might take off, like you mentioned the golf club might take off, but there are lots of these NFT collaborative projects that don't take off. So how are you thinking about finding readers, finding people who want to engage? How can we bring people into this? And how are you thinking about building a world that will be successful? Because it's like starting from scratch again, basically, when many people are worried about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is a pretty big challenge. And I'm sure that five, 10 years from now, there'll be plenty of people launching books on Web3, and it won't be as new as it seems. So I think to start out with that being user friendly is incredibly important. So One of the ways we're planning to launch the book to start is with using a platform called Readle. And they're actually an NFT book platform that allows readers to make a purchase with a credit card. So they have an online reader and with the credit card option, it's going to be super accessible to people who aren't used to the space. You don't have to start to talk to people about here's how you create a crypto wallet. Here's how you buy cryptocurrency, because that is so new to so many people and can be a huge challenge. So I think having a platform that's user-friendly and really utility focused is going to be a way to get some of those people to slowly start coming over who aren't used to the space. Yeah. And, and along with that, like the reading experience is of course important, right? At the end of the day, like we can add a lot of other things onto the book and we're doing that with all the different say services or perks and collaborations, but you have to have a good book and you have to have the reader actually want to read the book. And so there's been then some web three attempts at launching books that were more just like a PDF sort of style. And a PDF isn't a good reading experience for anyone that's tried to read anything longer than a few pages on a PDF. It's not the same as a true like uh, Kindle reading app say but but readle is working on building out a real reading app that would compete with with uh, amazon kindle app sort of um, reading experience and so i think that's important some of that is just the maturation of the industry i mean nfts as we know them only really came onto the scene about a year ago and it's crazy mm-hmm. what's happened in 12 months and so imagine where we'll be another 12 months from here it, it will be certainly continue to skip better but i think that the other thing in terms of getting readers on or, or why would people be interested is really the um, 
making sure that you're really clear with what you're providing. I see some NFT sets, and this is true for any brand, but you can't kind of just launch and be like, well, we're just going to try to have a good book and a new experience. Like you have to give them a real reason to want to be part of the community. And there's also a lot of yeah NFT brands that are just kind of like, well, we'll just have, you know, I don't know, metaverse and fun and money or like just join our community. And it's like, but why? What, what, what sets it apart? What's your mission? What are you really, who are you serving and what are you helping them with? So I think just if having a real clear mission and audience, of course, is key, like with any business and then make it, and then growing that community and having it strongly incentivized for them to let it grow. That's where with us too, not only do you have if you're a community holder, not only do you have the natural sort of incentive, like we discussed, to want the project to do well because they have an ownership stake, but we're, we're having the royalty sharing built in where with future launches, 50% of all royalties will be given back to owners. So that way we're publishing it serially, like three acts for each book and at least three books. So it'll be over the course of years that we're really building out this whole series. And so that should encourage word of mouth, sort of, as long as the books are good and people like it, then that we basically have an army of fans that are able to help spread um, the word of the books to their other fantasy communities and and whatnot. So, Okay, loads, <laughs> loads to unpack <laughs> there, which was really good. I appreciate everything you said. First of all, Riedel, I also love Riedel. As we're recording this in April 2022, they're still not quite ready, but I totally agree with you. It's early days and there are different companies and hopefully I think it will emerge in the same way as the kind of web two companies, you know, we go wide with all these different things and I think it will be the same. Uh, So I just wanted to give another thumbs up for Riedel at at the moment, but then I wanted to ask about your business model. Then you just mentioned 50% royalty fractionalization, which if people don't understand that, it means say you sell, let's say you sell it for 10, let's just say $10, five of those dollars after the fees and there are always fees five of those dollars will go to holders of that nft smart contract for that book right that that is a very large royalty percentage so i'm very interested what do you see the business model being with this is it just for one book how are you thinking about the future business model because obviously right now that's not your full-time income this is a future business model Yeah. So I think a few things to clarify with that. So like the 50% wouldn't be tied to an individual, but would be spread among all individuals. So, and actually Riedel has uh, ways that they're building out to do this. So think of it as more like a royalty sharing pool. And every time that, uh, that we oh, have no, I, I get that. I mean, you yeah, guys only yeah. get 50%. From the author perspective, 50% is a lot to give away. It, it's like a traditional publishing contract. <laughs> well, that's and that's really because we we see it as a community movement and as like kind of like a Kickstarter idea, right? So if the project does well, like we recognize that would be because of our early supporters of the people that, you know, join and, and buy into that first launch and, and um, help it do well. And so we can't do it without the community. And I think that the potential, even with 50% cut on our end, so to speak, the potential for real community movement much outweighs the cost of that royalty share. That's part of what I love about Web3 is by cutting out the middleman, by taking away the power from the platform. Like we're talking about Riedel, but they aren't a platform in the sense that Amazon is. They don't own, you can't go exclusive with them. They don't get exclusive rights to your distribution or anything. They're just a tool. And the actual NFT that you own is still decentralized in your wallet. So say that we end up not liking Riedel and going with someone else later down the road, 
that's fine. There will be competing competing apps that can also view the same NFTs. It's platform agnostic because you actually own that book in a way that is not possible in Web two. Readle doesn't own it, and they can't stop you from going to a competing platform and using it to you know if they have a different Readle app or a different reading app, not Readle, but a different app, and they say, hey, you have this NFT, like maybe you minted it or bought it through the Readle site, but if the information is still there, you can still port it out to other platforms. So it creates. So like Rito, they only have a 2% fee. Like 2% is astronomically lower than 65% for Amazon. So by, by cutting out that power in the middleman, we have a direct relationship with our readers. And then between us and the readers, we get to accrue that value of the uh, IP. You could say, so the, the value of that book, instead of the majority going to a centralized platform, it, it all gets to go to the author and the readers. And so in that sense, it's like, we're, we're happy to share that value with our community and still be doing approximately as well as if we were going with Amazon or other uh, platforms like that. Yeah. So what really drew me going back to this idea of community-driven publishing is this idea that your community with NFTs really becomes on your side. So there's um, so many ways that that could work. So part of that is we you know, can collaborate with other authors. For example, you can do a launch where um, you collaborate with somebody else, say, you reach out to that author's community and say, okay, everybody who owns, let's say you as an example, say everybody who owns like Joanna Penn's NFT, like we'll take a hundred people who own hers and they can join our community. So it's a great way to start to make those collaborations as well. And another thing that we didn't talk about either was the idea of secondary royalties. So with NFTs, authors can actually structure it where you get secondary royalties, meaning somebody who initially bought your NFT can go sell it to somebody else later down the road, and you'll get some of that back, which is really, really huge. Because as we know, you know, in the traditional publishing world, you only get those initial purchases. If somebody is done with your book, they go sell it at a used bookstore, you don't see any of that money. So it's actually a really interesting way, because this is kind of the first time that we're going to start to see if the like value of your intellectual property increases the original creator can start to get in on some of that, which I find really, really intriguing. I have like the example of an artist say that if uh, Picasso or Van Gogh had like sold a painting when they were young and before they'd been famous, that painting might have only sold for a few dollars. And then later on in their career, now that painting's worth millions. Well, do they benefit from that at all? Like they created that brand and the value and their fame and everything is something that they created, but they don't, they no longer have any ownership stake. And the person that bought it, you know, from them benefits from it, which is fine. Of course, the person that bought it should benefit, but it also seems like shouldn't the original artist get some benefit from that because they are the ones that grew their brand and their the value of their name. And so I think this will be really interesting because it introduces that concept to all forms of art, not just paintings or books. It's as after you release something, you as an artist, it, it's the norm to have these secondary royalties. Normally, some are around five to eight or ten percent on the resales, and that can be baked into the contract, so it's enforced by the blockchain forever indefinitely. And so now, when you release something out there to the world, you aren't just incentivized to keep on pumping out more and more new stuff if you're only making money on the initial selling of it, you're incentivized to keep on growing the value of what you already put out there, because you'll always have an ownership stake in it and always be benefiting from it growing in an in intellectual like branding. So, so the way to, mon- then it becomes the way to kind of monetize yourself as a content creator is anything 
under the sun that increases the value of your brand. So anything that you're doing to increase the value of your brand and that, and really the sky is the limit. It doesn't have to have a direct monetization, like whether you're, I don't know, getting on billboards or having collaborations with other well-known projects or getting into other forms of media, like making movies or whatever. It can be anything you want that increases the value of your brand. Cause that'll always come back to you in the form of secondary royalties. Cause if the original content that you created is increasing in value, then the percentage that you're getting is increasing in value. And there are NFT brands that are making thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars a day, just in those secondary royalties. So, Which is really, really great for me because I'm admittedly a very slow writer. Um, <laughs> as you mentioned, I've been working on this series for 10 years now. So like the idea of this high volume publishing where you're putting out a new novel every single year is probably never going to work for me just because of how slow I am. So the idea of secondary royalties, I think would be a lot better fit so that I don't feel that pressure to try to write that way. And just to add to that, so I want people listening, if you still haven't got this yet, this ownership as a reader means that, and this is for digital books, we're talking about digital um, versions. So if you own the copy of the book as an NFT book, for example, you can then sell it to someone else. And let's say 5% goes back to the original creator, as you've mentioned. But I've also seen there are these lending things coming out now with NFTs. So you could potentially be lending out your special NFT books to other readers. And I think that's an interesting secondary market too. But I was thinking about this as a reader, because of course, we have to remember the readers are the ones who are going to be be hopefully buying our books. But I, I've been on Amazon. I got on Amazon Kindle as soon as it arrived. I was living in Australia at the time. But I have bought, in inverted commas, or licensed, uh, nearly 3,000 Kindle books that's not including wow. <laughs> things borrowed. And yeah, so I mean, so basically for over a decade, I have been buying, I'm, I buy books like every day. And so I'm looking at that going, okay, I knew I was locked in to the platform, but I'm really locked into the platform because if I decide I don't want to read on Kindle anymore, that I lose all those books. They are not mine anymore. And what we're saying with NFTs is if I buy your book, Ray, number one, Sitka World, uh, then I own that. And I can, in, in a decade time, as you say, I can look on whatever blockchain and find that again. I can sell it. I actually own that. And as you say, the NFT shows that I do, and that's in the smart contract. So, I mean, th this really is an incredibly different way of thinking about digital that I feel like people haven't necessarily understood that from the hardcore reader perspective, even it is a very good business model, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of goes back to what you said earlier too, about how it's so early now and we don't know which reading apps in Web3 are going to take off. So like you said, if you purchase an NFT book, that is 100% yours. So even if 10 years from now, let's say you start reading on Readle, but 10 years from now, they're not around and you want to read on something else, because that book is 100% yours, you can port it over to whatever reading app you're using at the time. Mm, I think that's really important. The other thing, uh, talking there, I wanted to ask you both about what you think about NFT books. So I, I have a thing about digital scarcity. And I don't want to publish one of 
50,000. I want to publish one of ones, but also maybe one of hundreds. And for people listening, we're just limiting the number of this edition of book. So by limiting the number, we're making it more valuable. I see some platforms going down the route of making them unlimited and putting very low prices on things, which I just go back and forwards. I'm not really sure. So what do you think? I mean, maybe we just do all of these different things. What are you going to do with your books? Yeah, I think that's very much a a balance that we've been considering because on one level as for building a brand and following and, and like from our standpoint, getting the message of our books out there because the the books have a lot of important messages that we want the world to read. So you want widespread distribution on that side, but at the same time, in terms of having a real tight community and creating that value, you need to have some form of scarcity, which is something that Web3 has introduced that Web2 never really had. I mean, in Web2, there <laughs> for any sort of content, it's very hard to have scarcity because you can just copy and paste things and things do just go viral. And then it's like, as soon as something gets leaked, it's out there. Whereas as Web3, you can't have a real sense of there are only so many owners in this and that's the limit. So what, what we're doing is a dual sort of approach where there will be a core set of NFT holders that will give them more access to all the community or you know services that we're wanting to provide, the royalty sharing, like all that will be for what we're referring as to as author class NFTs, more built for the author community. And then there will be the reader class NFTs or just that where it's just the manuscript. And for those ones on Readle, we don't know exactly how many will have it. We might be able to have it being limited in Readle, but those will be more like traditionally priced, like might be $15, you know, for your copy of your book. And it doesn't come with the royalty sharing or with any of the other benefits. It's just the manuscript, just like you would on Kindle. And so that we'd want to get out to as many people as possible while still having the, the, the scarcity for the people that are really in the community. So. Yeah, and I I really think this is important. And for people listening, if you're thinking about doing an NFT book, please don't price it at what you would have priced the Kindle or the Kobo or the Apple, because again, you don't, the reader doesn't own those copies, right? So I think it's so important that we set a floor price for even, I, I don't even know how you can have an unlimited NFT book. I feel like there has to be some number. I mean, this is, it's so new. We don't even know this, right? We don't even know whether you can set a limit, but the smart contract to me has to have terms on it in in terms of how many there are, how long the smart contract will last and and all of those things. But what I don't want to see is this race to the bottom that we've had with the digital abundance model, which is essentially an unlimited, uh, the subscription model for for digital, which we don't want that. We want it to be, these are digital, Digitally scarce assets. And I guess that's the other thing. These are assets, right? NFTs, certainly, I think in the US and here in the UK, are classed as assets. So they are different to what we think of as products. What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, and I think this is kind of going back to where that idea of value comes in. And I think authors will have to start having this mindset shift that when you're publishing in the Web3 world, you're not just giving people a manuscript, you're giving them access to a community, something that can be resold, you're giving them opportunities for fan fiction, however you want to structure it. It is something that brings more value to your reader than just reading a manuscript. And that's kind of where we were talking about too, like that has the potential for your intellectual property for your NFTs to grow in value over time. And as they do grow in value, that becomes an asset to your readers. And if they want to resell it, 
later, then perhaps the price has gone up. So it is, yeah, I think it has to be kind of starting this fundamental mindset shift there that it's like, we're not just putting out unlimited work for everybody to read. This really is something that has a potential to benefit our readers. Yeah. And I think it's a, both a opportunity and a responsibility, because if you're a creator and putting out these assets, you can't think of it as just a product where I just sell it and forget about it. And that's where we see a lot of NOTs that haven't done well is because that's what creators did. They just thought, well, I'm just going to put it out there and just hope it sells and goes up in value. And it's like, no, it's not going to just magically go up in value if you aren't putting in the work. Like it is, it's a full-time job essentially to uh, manage a brand of any form, including NFTs. And so if you're creating this new class of assets, so to speak, for your community, then you're essentially signing up for the long-term responsibility of increasing that. And that's not to say, so it's may not be for everyone. If you just want to sell something and forget about it, then maybe more traditional launches are appropriate, or you just then sell it and price it more as a traditional uh, mass market paperback book just on the blockchain and you aren't promising any other benefits or expectation of it doing well long-term. You're just like, this is just another way of buying it on the blockchain. So I think that's definitely something to consider in terms of figuring out what's really your goals and structure long-term for why you're launching a brand. Mm. I do. I actually disagree with you, though, on this. I think the community NFT is completely different to the asset NFT. So uh, I think that the just an NFT book, which I will have as scarce, will be something that the reader can, as I've said, you know, the reader will buy, they will be able to read it and they will be able to resell it. And also they'll be able to, let's just say flex in the metaverse, put on their bookshelf and the background when they do whatever the metaverse Zoom equivalent is going to be, that kind of thing. I think that is as a reader, that's what I want. I I mean, I, I have to be honest, I'm not really a community type person. I just want to create my stuff yeah, and yeah. I will do limited edition, scarce digital editions and they will be what they are and they don't have to have a community token. So what you guys are doing is actually a different model, which is a community um, platform or no, let's not use the word platform, but a community movement, community site. And so you're incorporating different types of NFTs. But I think that's really important because for some people listening, they'll be more like me, which is, well, I don't want to do all of that kind of thing. So I can just do uh, just these limited edition, scarce, resellable NFT books, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a really good um, clarification. So I also did want to ask, I mean, you've mentioned longevity, I think not just for the community angle, it is also for our intellectual property value, as you mentioned, and that this is not just a fly-by-night, get-rich-quick scheme, which I think is one of the issues around the news articles on NFTs is like, it's a a get-rich-quick scheme, it's a scam, it's all of this kind of thing. So how are you communicating long-term value and how are you trying to reach out to people who might be interested and also I guess helping with people's fear there's a lot of fear of oh I'm just going to get scammed with this stuff Yes, absolutely. And I think that's what we've seen with the initial just super excitement about the NFT movement. And it has been a huge bubble, as we all know. And personally, I am all for that bubble bursting, because I think when any new technology comes along, people get super excited about it and start to speculate about it before the real utility comes out. But it's really once that initial kind of frenzy of investing starts to burst that you see, hey, actually, there is some real value and some real utility behind this technology, which is what we're going to be communicating to our community, especially in our sense too, and for Sitka World, 
this is going to be a series that we're planning to launch out over the course of months, over the course of years. So we're being very upfront with people saying, this is a long haul project. This isn't just like a, you invest in this and hope to flip it tomorrow. This is, we're in here for the long haul to build that kind of community. Mm. Are you going to publish these books in the old fashioned way and so have them on Amazon and all of that as well? Yes, but after we've published to the community first. So we're going to do web three first and then also do web two and have all of those options out there. No, that's fantastic. I do want to come back on there. You said about the bubble bursting. I agree with you. And to me, I was working back in the 2000 in the dot-com boom. And I remember when loads of my friends went to work for various dot-com companies and then 2000, 2001, and then the whole thing <laughs> came crumbling down and everyone yes. was like, well, but that was a mistake. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. But now, of course, we're 20 years later, which is kind of hard to believe. And we're all making a living um, on using the internet and it's become core but so I guess that would be my my final question because we're almost out of time which is how long do you think this is going to take because of course we don't want it to be 2001 we would rather it was a bit later than that in terms of we don't want to wait 20 years for this to become a mature situation so what do you think in terms of the timeline of adoption I mean, I think that's anyone's guess. Of course, we don't have any um, magic special foreknowledge there. But I do think that what we see is that the rate of technological change keeps on appreciating. Um, And I was reading an article about that recently about just how the not only does technology keep on increasing, but the rate of change of that increase keeps on increasing. I mean, the amount of change that we've seen in the last five years is much more drastic than the amount of change, say, between 1900 and 1905. And so I think that even now just with the power of computing too, like uh, all the, and the artificial intelligence and all that, like we're seeing massive growth in the way that Web3 is already being used. Like I said, like NFTs pretty much, I mean, the crypto punks or whatever, they were kind of like an experiment a few years ago, but really NFTs started gaining any sort of real attention about the start of last year. And a lot of stuff behind the scenes that like I'm in on calls and messaging with a lot of different project devs every day, like there's so many really cool stuff being built behind the scenes, but it's just not in the public yet because it needs to be, because it takes still many months, years to develop good projects. And so a lot of the quality projects are still in development. And even the ones that are released, it takes a while for it to gain user adoption and awareness. But I would say from what I'm seeing, we're probably talking, you know, within the next year, I think we'll start to really see some more mass adoption. And certainly within a few years, a lot of those tools in all the different areas of the web that really help people with Web3 will be functioning and be where and be out there and it'll so I don't think it's going to be decades this time is what I would say but uh and Ray of course you've been writing these books for you said a decade you must be just desperate to get them out into the world and, and all of this so what do you think in terms of the adoption yeah so I've been attracted more to the idea of serial publishing so we're going to start out by publishing just act one of my book, kind of following the three act story structure. So that will be coming out. But then the whole process of getting all of these out will likely take several years, which I'm prepared for on the one hand, like you said, like 10 years is a long time to be writing a series. But on the other hand, I'm also a very slow writer. So it gives me like a lot of time to be able to really hash out the stories to be what I want it to be. Because as I've been working on it for 10 years, I also want it to be the best it can be. So not having that pressure to be constantly putting out work after work right away is actually really great for me. 
<laughs> so that has been just such an interesting chat. I really appreciate everything you're doing to also educate the community. And uh, maybe we'll have you back again in another year and we can see how much further you are. But for now, tell people where they can find uh, you and everything you do online. Yeah, so our project has a website called sitkaworld.com, but I also have my own website with my writings called northernwords.blog, and I actually recently published an article um, called Why Content Creators Need Web3, which goes into a lot more of these ideas a lot more thoroughly that we've talked about as far as the utility for Web3. And we also have a Twitter for Sitka World, which is Sitka World NFT. We do have a private Discord, like I mentioned, the community aspect that's not going to be open all the time. It will be invite only, but whenever this podcast is up, we will share it on our Twitter and we can share a link. So if there's anybody listening who wants to join, they can join that way. Well, thanks so much for your time. It's been great to talk to you. Absolutely. Thank you, Joanna. Thank you, Joanna. So I hope you found that interview with Ray and Stephen interesting and that it gave you some insight into why you might consider some aspects of your author business on Web3 platforms or even creating within some of the interesting worlds that might arise. So on Monday, it's back to craft again as I discuss seven-figure fiction with Theodora Taylor. And I know many of you will have read her book on the topic, which I loved. So I'm excited to bring that interview to you. In the meantime, happy writing and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.